help support your local businesses, whether they are your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. They remember your order and call you by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you are there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. You don't, know, you don't need to uh, spell the whole thing out. I'm verified. Just look for me with the blue check. Uh, Chris, go ahead and talk to the people. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. All right, Chris, we're going to deviate from our Beat Rider preview series a little bit uh, because with the Seahawks playing the Patriots this Sunday night, uh, the most intriguing storyline, I think, and I'm sure you would agree, is talking about quarterback Cam Newton, uh, recently just signed to the uh, Patriots this offseason. To talk about Cam Newton, we have first-time guest on the show, the homie Tyler Tynes of The Ringer. Also, Chris, he wanted me to get his other title in there. He's not only Tyler R. Tynes of The Ringer, he is king of North Philly. Uh, Tyler, did I miss anything? I mean, you, you why y'all call the podcast this? What, what y'all call it? Seahawk to Seahawk, man to man. Yep, yep. Seahawks, man to man. That's what y'all call. Mm-hmm. We gonna have to talk about that. We gonna we gonna have to get that right. We gonna we need some flavor. You not fi- you like not that. feeling the name? I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like that. Oh, I that's my. I don't know if I like that. See, this is a, this like is that. a first. We got the guest come on, critique the name of the show, Chris. That's a that, that's some that's some crazy stuff, man. Tell everybody at the athletic they need to switch it up. That's on bait. <laughs> See, because this is why it's why I would have Tyler on the show, but this is a footy cat. You wild, man. Our name is pretty good. We sat at a we sat at Starbucks for about an hour coming up with names, and this one stuck. So we don't appreciate the shots, but it's okay, man. If you want to talk, talk off whack, talk, talk, talk to your talk to your therapist about that. <laughs> All right, man. Let's Tyler. Let's 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 jump into this, uh, guys. Right now, if you're listening and you haven't peeped Tyler's podcast series that. Um, was on the on the ringer right now. It's called the Cam Chronicles. Uh, it was it's so super dope. Six episodes uh, chronicling chronicling Cam's journey, uh, all the way from his hometown, all the way to you know his free agency. That was uh, really just a shame that he was on the market uh, that long. Uh, Tyler, let's let's start with your podcast series because it really like took over kind of the NFL you know public consciousness for like a little bit in early July when you dropped it. What what was the goal uh, when you set out to do a whole podcast series on Cam? Well, first of all, like I said, make sure you go get the album. It already <laughs> dropped July 13th. We try to make it platinum. Go ahead and get the album, the Cam Chronicles on Spotify. All six episodes. You see how we you see how we got a good name in there, Dugar. You see uh, allegedly, name. it's allegedly a good name. No, nah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, for me, honestly, the, the thing about it was that you know, 
obviously my job at the Elliot Ringer is a staff writer covering the intersection of race, politics, and sports. And, and the importance behind that, at least for me, is that you have to chronicle, at least to a certain extent, um, the history and the moving history of the black quarterback, not only where, where the black quarterback was, but currently where the black quarterback is going. And when you think about the current age of the black quarterback, Right, Tyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was a vanguard to the current decade and generation of these black folks who have kind of come through the league, set it on storm, and changed how modern offenses look, especially somewhere like Baltimore with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And so that person is Cam Newton, right? He was the original number one pick of the, of the decade. He was the original mega talent, the, big, the megawatt smile and everything. And so knowing... Last year, uh, we, we were in Hollywood at the Ringer Studios having a conversation with uh, some of the people, Bill Simmons, Sean Fennessy, uh, Noah Malale, Isaac um, Lee, and so many others who, who make up our NFL staff and our Ringer Films department. And the consensus there was certainly that we need to do something on Cam Newton. Um, we did not know what that would be, and that was in May 2019. I was four months on the job. Um, so we thought it might be a profile. We thought it could be a capital F feature. We thought it could be a reported essay in the style that I'm, I'm, I'm used to kind of doing. Um, and we, we got pushback from the Panthers. We got pushback from Cam's camp. We, we, there was no real way in. I knew people in that locker room. I covered the Keith Scott protest in 2016, so I knew people on the ground. It was, you know, very well acclimated with the city. But there, there, there seemed to be no real through line, no narrative structure that made sense in the ways that we were being given of how we were going to do this. And so... Once a quarter, uh, more or less, I, I have people at the Ringer at, at the Ringer Films Department, like Noah Malali, kind of come to me and ask me what is it that I want to do. And I, I put together a pitch of about 15, 16 things, and Cam's name was on that list. And I think a lot of people internally here decided, you know, the way to go would be an audio documentary, a narrative podcast. And so that was in maybe somewhere between September and November. I just know by right after Christmas, we were in Carolina. We did about a month of pre-reporting, a month of calls to set up some New York interviews to get a team of producers and put a team together at the Ringer, a research team, et cetera. And so then, you know, the work really started in the fall. And then from the end of December until March 1st, almost every week we were on a plane. Mm. Well, I mean, it's so well reported. I'm glad you kind of detailed that whole that whole process for us. Of all the things that you learned about Cam Newton and that process, and I'm sure there were many, what was maybe the most fascinating thing you learned about Cam Newton just as a man? I think the thing that you, you frequently get when you have an age of anonymous sourcing, especially within a very largely white sports media, is that you know the incentive is not to the player. And the, the player is a part of a labor force that is overwhelmingly black. And so the incentive is to the franchise. The incentive is to the power brokers, the people who are willing to leak you information on behalf of what makes sense. That's either agents, that is either players, or that is either you know a gaggle of folk who want to tell a very specific side of the story, usually not with labor in mind, right? And so we've gotten so many different tales about Cam Newton. Oh, he's selfish. Oh, he's cocky. Oh, he's not authentic. Oh, he's this and he's that. And, you know, to a certain extent, and depending on subjectivity, maybe all of those things are true, right? Um, tracing his trail and, and, and kind of, you know, reanimating his ghost in all the places that he's been and he's seen, he's very authentic, the first time I saw Cam during this process was in January where we were in uh, South Atlanta, uh, I think Southwest Atlanta, and we were watching him do a 707 practice for um, his his, his um, kind of like Juco football team, you know, the ones that kind of go all around and play 707 football. And you just saw this animated person who was willing to give his time to these people that he didn't even know. 
and it is such a stark difference from that compared to you know the guy after the Super Bowl who didn't want to talk to the press, or you know the guy who made a role reversal when it came to how he talked about racism in 2016, or the guy who talked about you know your ringer col- I'm sorry your, your athletic colleague Jordan Rodriguez um, in 2017, and so you get many different variations of Cam Newton. But the thing that we don't frequently understand when detailing it and chronicling ideas about the black athlete is that. We think they are supposed to be monolithic or robotic or this idea that, you know, the things we get from them are who they are. And this was very much a situation where I was able to find out or at least in part understand and empathize with who Cam Newton might have been when he was 15, who he might have been when he was 25, and who he's going to be by the time he's 35. What was really cool, I thought, was the fact that you told a story without really having Cam actually speak to it. And I thought that was very powerful. And I wanted to get your insight on what you learned about Cam and his relationship with his own blackness as a black quarterback in the NFL. All right, I know it's tough times for a lot of folks out there. But if you want to save a little bit of cash, $50 is more affordable than any other cable providers. With the NFL season around the corner, FUBU TV will not disappoint. Stay updated on your favorite teams as well as local broadcast news. So go to fubu.tv backslash athletic today and get 15% off your first month. You won't regret it. That's fubu.tv backslash athletic. Start your first month today. Well, I think it's a few things, you know what I'm saying? I think it's a few things now. And the reality is you don't need somebody buy-in to do a story. What are you talking to Cam Newton for? When his daddy talked for the story, when mm-hmm. his friends and family talked for the story, where his coaches talked for the story. You know what I'm saying? And so if athletes are generally opposed in so many different ways, especially at uh, different apex of their careers, to talk to the press, they have no no need to talk to me. Right? I go into every story knowing that I might not get who I need, and that's okay because there's a story to tell, and you being on the record is additive to the story I'm trying to tell. You are not the centrality of the story, you're not the only source of the story, and you're not the focus of the story. The focus of the story is who you are reflexively and the extension of where you put yourself and what all those things might mean in a macro sense, right? We are here for a service to a specific constituency. And for me, and for the last few years, I've done national journalism. It is to a specific type of citizenry in the United States and black folks, the entire spectrum of blackness, who very frequently do not get their stories told with nuance and context at national places with the allocations and the money to ensure they are made to be full people. And so from the get-go, I wanted to portray Cam Newton as whoever he was. Whether I liked it or not, I didn't really care. I just wanted to tell the fullest story about it she was ever going to get. And so it is that authenticity that I learned about him. But in terms of blackness, he, he has very specific blends. I mean, he comes from, you know, he's a pastor's kid. You know, Cecil Newton owns church in Noonan, Georgia, where at times he extols the virtues of conservatives like Larry Elder to talk about the black Southern family structure. And so I was never expecting Cam Newton to be some large savant in terms of critical race theory. That was never the thing for me. I just wanted to learn who he was and learn about his positions and learn how he thought about it. And when it came to blackness, when it came to his point about blackness in in the NFL, he was very proud of being a black quarterback. He's very proud of being an icon, very proud of being that entertainer. The same thing he told Peter King way back in 2010 when he was being drafted. He achieved all of those things. And so to be very honest, it is clear that he is not the guy that wants to talk about race and racism robustly when it comes to these different press availabilities. He told us that in 2016. He told us that in 2015. So to continue to ask him is to not know what is going on. Something to be, you know, be fully aware of your subject. And equally, I'm not going to ask Cam Newton the same questions I need to ask Tom Brady. 
because we ask of our black athletes so much, but we ask of their white counterparts so little. That's the thing that's important to me. And so when it came to his blackness, yes, I had questions because it was part of his overall story that he of how he presented himself to the world. But I ain't pressing him on it because I could do all that work by myself. And there's plenty of people in between that could tell that story as well. What was your reaction to Cam signing with the Patriots of all teams? I was mad as shit. Because the, the reality, too, here is that, uh, at least while I was in his orbit, of the 7,500 people that we talked to for that six-part episode series, ain't nobody know where he was going. His daddy ain't know where he was going, and if he did, he wasn't safe about it. Whether you know, our calls on the record and off the record and on background, Cecil Newton never said where Cam was going. And it seemed as though Cam did not know where he was going. You know, from all intents and purposes, it would seem like the Browns made a call about Cam Newton. It didn't go anywhere. It seems there was interest at Washington. It was interest in, in, uh, in, in Chicago. There might have been interest in, with the Chargers. But no one made a move, right? And so what does it matter then if there's interest if nobody picked up the phone? And the only people it seemed to be that picked up the phone were the New England Patriots. And 31 teams around the NFL made a major mistake. It couldn't be one based on intellect. There's no intellectual argument in that sense, right? Because you can't say he's a bad football player because he was the MVP in 2015. You can't say you're worried about injuries because he hasn't been hit on a football field in two years. You can't say you need to see it with your own eyes because even when he was banged up, he was one of the 12 to 15 best quarterbacks in the NFL, which means in the world. And so if there is no actual intellectual argument for why he was not playing football, why, as Cam would say, the 86 days that he was left to wither away before he got a deal, well, the conversation, the question has to be on racism, doesn't it? Mm. And so if that's the truth, and that's certainly the truth that I would like to believe and that I would certainly posit to the rest of you. Well, then we're dealing with something that has always existed in the NFL, an ambivalence toward the black quarterback, an ambivalence toward the black body, an ambivalence towards a specific type of labor force that is performing at the highest level in front of a conservative audience that does not care about them outside of Sundays, Thursdays, and Mondays. And yet somehow, y'all all let Bill Belichick be the one that gets to unlock this offense. Mm. Y'all f***ed up. Now, if you had a team that you would want to see Cam go to, who would that have been? The Philadelphia Eagles, what you mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, get a, I mean what, what, you, what you mean? What you mean? If I had a team, if I had a team I wanted to pick for, the Philadelphia Eagles, Dugar, that's where I wanted to go. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? This that's is, not even a question. This is Christopher, by the way, no Dugar. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is Chris Kidd. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so you, so you got the Eagles. It still would have been the Eagles. The answer's not changing. Okay, I, I just ha- I mean, I know you said you're the king of North Philly. I, I'm just I'm just making say it again. Say it again. Too. You know, we good. We gonna let that ride. What are your <laughs> what are your expectations from Cam this season? Although he didn't land with the Philadelphia Eagles, he did. Which indeed. we are quite aware of. <laughs> so, what are your expectations for Cam this season, man? I mean, honestly, I, I, I just want him to ball out. I don't really have no expectations of him. But, if you you know, from the first game, obviously it's only the Dolphins. But in the first game, 15 touches. He's barely missed a throw. Multiple touchdowns. He talked a lot. Looked like the dude that we left two years ago. And so, you know, that Patriots team is probably a 10-win team. At worst, a 9-win team. They're probably going to make the playoffs. He, he could easily be the comeback player of the year if he just plays good. Like, not even, not even blows the roofs off. Plays good. And the thing that you've already seen from that offense, right, is that it looks a little bit like that Auburn team when they played Mississippi State um, in one of the first games of the season during his Auburn campaign, where Camden put up gaudy numbers, about 15, 16 throws, 20 throws tops, 15, you know, 16 touches, you know, a few runs, 
but he was the most dominant player on the field. And so it's easy when you are relying on defense and you're not doing too much on offense, you're making kind of a wing T style or single T style where you can just put him in the middle of that offense and say, play football. You don't got to make it too complicated. Don't got to put no extra reads, no pre, no pre snaps, nothing like that. You say, Hey bro, go ahead and play football. What? I mean, that's what he did. <laughs> it, it, it looked easy when he played. So, that the expectation should very much be comeback player of the year in a playoff berth. Because the thing about it is that she's what Newton told Cam Newton when he went down to Blinn Junior College uh, after he left Florida that, you know, strap in. This is a 12-month business trip. Worry about football, worry about God, and don't worry about nothing else. I can only assume it is the same sort of question here, right? Is that what else would he worry about? Get an apartment in the, in the greater Boston area, show up to work every day, Make sure you're healthy, win some ball games, same as any other year. Mm, okay. And then I want to look at life after football. What do you think mm. Cam's post-career looks like? I mean, a lot of black quarterbacks end up with positions as a, you know, assistant coordinator for your quarterback's coach. You name it. They always find a way back in the league. But is, has Cam indicated or have you seen anything that says, you know what, Cam might be doing something similar or is he looking to have an ownership? What do you think on that? This is the athletic Shield Kapadia here to tell you about Liquid IV. Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. I mean... It's whatever to make him happy. You know, he a father. He care about his church. You know, that's one of the things that I, that was the biggest takeaways. You know, I, I knew I knew Cam was godly, but I didn't know how godly. You know, somebody who 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 did praise dancing in his church and mimed. Somebody who was an active participant. You know, what I mean, from like age eight, age nine to right now, it's like all the the Newton brothers are. And so, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Cam Newton became a pastor. It wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me if Cam Newton, you know, was with a church. He has many business interests. He's got a cigar lounge, a very nice cigar lounge, by the way, boys, if you ever go back to Atlanta. Uh, a real nice cigar lounge in Atlanta that, that he, that he uh, co-owns, you know. He's got a bunch of different business ventures. And so the sky is the limit for somebody like that um, because you've got the personality. You're very marketable. Uh, you know, you're a football giant, you know, a phenom for a generation of, of high-level talent. And so it's really whatever he wants to do. But the thing he wants to do right now is just play football. You know, you, you hinted at this a little bit earlier, and it, it's something that I think uh, a lot of our colleagues who cover the NFL, whether white or black, to be honest, kind of struggle with with tackling, especially in 2020. What do you? How would you characterize the role of the black athlete in terms of just being a, an activist in 2020? What is their role? 
I mean, so, so the thing about it is that that's a complicated, that's a complicated question, right? Because it, it assumes or at least inspires the idea that there is a role for them that is mandated within the actual things that they do as athletes. And so from the plantation to right now, um, these are the progeny of folks who very much have a stake in the, in the grand old American experiment. The one that the founders set off from inception when it, when it was 16, 19, and now when they signed those grand old American totems to make this place into allegedly democratic republic and so knowing all of this the role of the black body within all of this gets very 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 complicated very 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 quickly we came here as chattel we were then ghettoized and then kept in in, in, in specifically a sort of a figurative change and then had mass incarceration on top of reconstruction on top of redlining on top of right now where we are which is a national and international rebuking of the systems of police brutality that makes it so that the state can hunt willingly black folks without any sort of retribution um Knowing that, the extensions of blackness, our laureates, our luminaries, our athletes, our actors and actresses, they provide a very unique role because when we think about the black athlete, and specifically when white audiences think about the black athlete, we can only see, compared to musicians, compared to actors and actresses, compared to any other talent base, we can see a scoreboard. We know who's winning. We can assign a certain level of dominance to your name because we've watched you play your sport. And so within that, in the rat race toward equity, there is a, 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 a systematic imbalance when it comes to that because these people do not want these people do not want these people to actually like say what's on their mind radical robust justly they want them to be in their place they want them to do what is necessary they want them to win games for their own cities locales states etc well if you think about it sociologically and you think this is a generation of athletes that are radicalized after Trayvon Martin's murder in Florida in 2012, these are people who now have decided that something has to change and radically shift. But the onus isn't really on them to do so. If they would like to be, in the, in the ways that we think of our athletes, we think of them as role models, community guardians, etc. And so if that is the truth, um, they do have a role to play in a certain extent, right? But it doesn't mean they have to be activists. It doesn't mean they have to be politicians. It doesn't mean they have to be advocates. They can just go and play ball. And honestly, that's a radical act by itself. But if they do wish to get within the discourse, the thing I would say is that they very much need to be attached to the voice of the movement, an international movement for black lives and black liberation, in the sense that they need to know extensively what it is they're advocating for. If you want to be out here, you open yourself to criticism. And that is to say, Wearing vote on a shirt if you are an NBA player is nowhere near enough. Memifying Breonna Taylor's visage is nowhere near enough. Not being in the streets at the bare minimum is nowhere near enough. And we have to understand that, right? When we think about whiteness and when we think about the role that blackness may play in the American currency of culture, we are the sound. We are the heartbeat. We are the thing that propels the culture forward in all aspects. Without us, there is no country that actually stands free. And so knowing that, if you want to be a white fan of these people, listen. That's it. Don't be allies. Be accomplices. Be people on the front lines with these other people who are ready to fight for their own entitlement to a specific level of freedom that was given to them from the inception of the republic that we now stand in. It's a very, very simple premise. Anyone telling you otherwise is lying. And so that is the role now. The role is just to be black and to survive. Because that is the role of anybody who's black in the United States right now. If you want to do more I welcome you, and it's great to see you because there is something for you to do because it is a fight for all of us. But honestly, you don't really have to be here. 
make your money, provide for your family, get out of the systemic level of poverty and encampment that has kept us with foots on our necks for so long. And so I don't really need y'all to do nothing if y'all don't want to. But if you do, come ready with both fists balled up. I, I think uh, there's there's kind of this general consensus, and I know even uh, reading some of your pieces where you talk to people who are on the ground, there is this desire, this like this want for athletes to do something, almost that there is like the onus on them to speak out or wear shirts or, you know, kneel or boycott or protest or walk out. There's this desire to have them do that. Uh, do you think that is unfair that, that that onus is placed on black athletes? It is, but this onus is also placed on black people, right? It is not only when you are a community guardian. It's not only when you are an actor or actress. It's not only when you are a major business magnet within the United States. It is when you are just black, the poorest among us, the greatest among us. It is when you are black. And so knowing that, the question from our white counterparts is frequently, how can I be better? When the question from our white counterparts shouldn't be seeking the knowledge from black people who live this every day. It should be seeking the knowledge from Google because it's free. And so... I mean, like, here's the thing. When these protests happen, it's always somebody white hitting the Venmo with $10 because they feel bad. I need y'all to stop feeling bad and start feeling feisty. Because, again, black folks been fighting against this country and its demands since 1619. Black folks have been in the streets against police brutality since at least 1919 or 1935 in Harlem. There's a long 100-year history almost since enslavement was done to where these people have been asking for very basic rights. And so in that same extent, we think that black people who have escaped some pseudo-plantation are uppity. And that's not fair to all of us, to any of us, right? They think we are exemplary because we stepped outside of the norms of what we believe blackness can be and aspire to be. The academic Imani Perry once said that it is not race that is actually the poison, I'm paraphrasing, the poison on this land. It is racism. That is the thing that keeps blackness indentured, right? And so knowing all of this and knowing what our outlook is, we have to understand that when we do something outside of the norms of what white people think is acceptable, it's not uppity, but it's the normalcy of what we can afford for ourselves, right? Michelle Obama said to ta Coates in a story called American Girl at the Atlantic that, and I'm paraphrasing again, there are 40 Barack and Michelle Obamas on every corner of the south side of Chicago. We are the ones that made it out. And so you think we are special. And the reality is so many of us are special and they've never had the chance to prove it, show you, or get the opportunity to kick down a door. And so in the same way, ain't special about me just because I'm here and I own a job. Ain't special about y'all because y'all here y'all job. We all work hard. We all deserve it. There's 40 more of us on every corner in every ghetto of America, on every corner in every suburb of America, on every corner in every Midwestern or Southern town in America. The question is, when will we stop being uppity for wanting what is ours? You know, I want to correct something Tyler said there. So all my white friends who want to Venmo us because they feel bad, my Venmo is uh, Mike Dash Dugar. I mean, I'm, I am still accepting those $10 I don't Venmos. Want money. I don't want your pity money. <laughs> I'll take the – what about you, Chris? You good on the on the Venmos or no? Man, that's a tough one. I don't know if I want the money, but I'm not gonna be opposed to it. If you if you slide me a I dub, go listen, ahead, Tyler. I'll, listen, if you want to send me the money, I'll give it to a bail fund. But I ask you do it instead. I don't need your money. I yeah. want well, I need your money. I don't want your money though. <laughs> it's tricky. I, if you give me a dub, I might slide and keep it. It just depends. I'm not. I mean, Mike over here, he said I'm taking it. But I feel you, Tyler. You know, give it to give it to someone that needs it. So I might be on that wave. 
Yeah, I mean, if somebody would have sent me 100 bucks when I was in Atlanta, then that would have made me go to Magic City. I'm not even going to lie. I didn't go because, uh, you know, reasons. Uh, but, I, Tyler, I want to flip one of the questions um, that I asked you on, kind of on its head a little bit. What is the role, you think, of the white athlete in 2020? To be loud, to be visible, to be seen, to be frequently seen, loud, and visible. That's the role of the white athlete. It's been the role of the white athlete since athletics have begun. And so if whiteness provides a privilege and provides a space for you to be this or that, right, within the span of the world, you then need to use your power to someone else. Tony Morrison once said, we can't get free unless we free somebody else. And so if that is the mantra of the day, right, if that's how this is going to go down, then it's no more, no less, right? Like, the role of the white athlete is not to stand for the anthem because it makes sense. It is not to listen to your black counterparts as Trevor Lawrence and Carson Wentz and so many others have done. It's not to place a hand on the shoulder of your protesting player and your brother next to you because you think it's about something in terms of unity. It is to demand more and better and to do so as long as it takes until freedom rings. No more, no less. You know, I, I've been on this show just basically ra- kind of just yelling at, you know, NFL owners and owners of all leagues, just any rich white person in general. But it's a sports show. So we talk mostly about team owners to do something to, to you know, to get off their butts, just like you're seeing the, the white athletes have to. Why do you think that hasn't happened on the part of a team ownership in the NFL and other sports? And what do you think it'll take to get that to happen? But then they give a f- about black people. Like, like this this isn't some, like, grandiose, complicated type of thing, right? Like, these people don't care about black people enough to spend that money in a way that is, like, actually impressive, right? If you're Nike and you're giving $10 million a year to, quote, black efforts, well, you're Nike. You're a billion-dollar company. That's not actually And so that's the thing here is, like, show me and prove to me you give about black people, right? If that makes you uncomfortable, then good. I have been uncomfortable almost every year of my life when it comes to dealing with white people. And so we need you to be as uncomfortable as we are. And we're going to need your money to go somewhere that actually helps. The black quarterback, back in times when I wasn't even alive yet, that was kind of something foreign. But you look around the league today, and the top three players, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, what have you made of the rise of the black quarterback in the National Football League? Nothing to make of it except it is, it, is, it is passed overdue. I mean, this talent has been here forever. I mean, the question, though, is like, you know, when do we care about this talent? When are we made to care about this talent? Because, again, this is not some novel thing we should be celebrating right now. There was only 10 black starting quarterbacks last week in the NFL. Let us let me know when we get to 15 and let me know when we get to 20. Because, again, if the MVP of the league last year, Lamar Jackson, was asked in 2018 to not play his position, we haven't actually really done anything, have we? If the people you are trying to gatekeep from the position who end up being the best players in your league can't even get a fair shot at that position in the modern time, what are we actually doing? Right? So this is nothing to be celebrated. There's still there's still only three black coaches in the NFL. There's still only one black team president in the NFL. There's still only two black GMs in the NFL. There's still only two black quarterbacking coaches in the NFL. We have not done anything to get excited about. I'm not even mad at that. You make a very good point there. What would you, you've already mentioned the owners and what white players can do. What can black journalists like yourself, what can we do? Because we've been doing, we've been talking about it. What else can we do? Is What else is there to do? Be alive, be awake, and be aware. 
Mm. Right. If there are stories that you can do and you can push the white people in your newsrooms to be better about certain topics, you should do so. If you can advocate for other black folks to get in your newsroom, you should do so. If you can tell a story that isn't just a general piecemeal story handed to you by PR people, savants and other sources, you should do so. We should always be pushing for more because my pathos in terms of journalism is to tell my most basic American truth. And that is one that doesn't frequently get told by the companies that we both work for. And so that is the thing that's important, right? But again, just like our athletes, it's not incumbent on us to fix these problems. Mm. And so if you want to fly under the radar, I don't blame you, big dog. Mm. Do what makes sense to you. I can only tell you what I do. And that's that. Mm. You're saying if somebody is trying to come to the ringer, you know, I will have that conversation with them. If somebody's not trying to go to the ringer, I will have that conversation with them. If people need mentoring at NABJ or other places like it, I will make sure my time is available, right? That's, that's what's important. Right. Because the only thing that's getting me out of bed every day is helping black people any way I can. That would be if I'm a manager at McDonald's or I'm a journalist at the ringer. That ain't really changing. Uh, Tyler, we usually do a um, we do an over under when we do like our game prediction, uh, you know, series of the week. We usually have like, oh, how many touchdowns Julio going to have or how many yards or whatever. We're going to flip that this week with with you on. I want to have an over under for the whole season of how many times you will disown Carson Wentz over the course of the 2020 season. I want to set it at like seven and a half. Uh, how, how many no, times? No, because you can't set it at nothing because I don't know who Carson Wentz is. <laughs> well, oh, so have, you, have you ever seen him play? you never seen him play? This, this, this is a Jalen Hurts household. Oh, oh, that. Oh, oh okay. How, okay, let's, let's let's switch this then. Okay, the over under on how many times you tweet, Chris, I want you to, we're going to track Tyler's Twitter all, all year. How many times you tweet that Jalen Hurts should be the starting quarterback for the Eagles. I'm gonna say let's start it at what? Fifteen and a half at the over under? Let's go with that. What would how, you take? How many weeks how many weeks left in the season? Uh it's fifteen. Yeah, fifteen times. <laughs> Fifteen times. All right. Well, that that would be the under, technically, Chris. Make sure you, make sure you write that down, man. Uh, Tyler, we appreciate you coming on. We don't appreciate you dissing the name of the show. It will not change. Y'all gonna figure it out. Our name is fine. Man to man, there's two black. I mean, come on. I like it, man. It's hating, man. It's cool. It's the Philly people. People from Philly hate Chris. Is what I've learned. I've been there twice now. Uh, and each time I, I was sitting next to people who wanted to fight professional athletes and they weren't joking. You know, like, oh, you say, oh, we want to I want to fight Carson Wentz. No, no, no. These dudes really want to throw hands with professional athletes. And I don't know what it is in the water over there. Uh, Tyler, you guys got it. I'm going to say this, Tyler. Therapy should be free in Philly because you guys you guys need some help. I don't know what's going on over there. Grow up or get up. I mean, I don't got no issue with the John for real. So, you know, y'all got a problem. Come down to Philly and let us know you got the problem. You still got a problem by the time you leave. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's Tyler R. of the Ringer, man. Make sure you guys go I'm check in. out check check out all his work, man. He he does a really he does a really great job, as you can see. One of the brightest minds that we have in this business right now, not on just sports, but the intersection of race, sports, and politics. Like he said, he does a great job. I'm done giving him compliments now as we end the show because uh, I just I just don't want to big up his head uh, anymore. But but thank you, Tyler, so much uh, for hopping on with us, man. We we appreciate it, and we're gonna tweet you a lot uh, when the Seahawks play Philly this week or uh, I mean, later look, later this season. Do what you got to do, because y'all going to be the only ones watching the game. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast. One last shout-out. This is not about Tyler. It's about listening to the Cam Chronicles on Spotify. They may or not uh, have a good host for that Cam Chronicles podcast. I don't know. It's alleged. Uh, but make sure you guys go check that out. It's definitely worth your time, especially as the Seahawks get ready to play Cam Newton and the New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football this week. We will see you guys after that game. On that note, 
We are out.